and your soul. Say yes to our creator. The one that knows everything about us. This morning as we have an opportunity as we come towards the end of our series in the book of Acts, we see that Paul said yes, and he witnessed by his example. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to chapter 28 of the book of Acts, verses 1 through 10. That's chapter 28 of the book of Acts, verses 1 through 10. And the word of God says this, After we were brought safely through, then we learned that the island called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us because it had begun to rain and was cold. Then Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place, where lands belonged to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received and entertained us with his hospitality for three days. It happened when the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing, but most importantly, the understanding and the living of his holy word. As we come to this final chapter in the book of Acts, we see that Paul is presented in three different views here. One, he has an encounter with the pagans of this island from verses 1 to 10, and then with Christians, verses 14 through 15, and then at the end with Jews again, verses 17 through 28. But what I really want you to see here is what Luke is after here. He's forming like a summary conclusion of his portrait of Paul and Paul's ministry. 
This morning, now, we're just going to focus on verses 1 through 10. And even though it's not all about his mission on the mission field here, but yet it really is about Paul's mission on the mission field because Paul is witnessing Christ here through his example. He's being received by these natives in their pagan world. It's a sign that cooperation and kindness is still possible when you go in the name of the Lord. It also serves as a sign to you and I that there still lies hope here if we are willing to hearken the call of Christ and tell those who are still living a pagan lifestyle that they can find safety in Christ Jesus. Those who are still living a lifestyle that's full of greed and full of gratuitism and full of the graffiti of sin that's written large upon their very lives. You know, recently, some graffiti was discovered at the Washington Monument from the 1800s. And this graffiti has a slightly different tone than we find on the sides of buses or subway cars or on walls in neighborhoods. This graffiti is really speaking about reaching out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what it says. Whoever is the human instrument under God in the conversion of just one soul erects a monument to his memory more loftier than this enduring one. So that means that you and I, if we are hearing the clarion call of Christ Jesus and leading people to Christ, then Christ sees that as a more statuesque monument than even the Washington Monument. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just love and praise you. Even in the midst of our storm, we trust you. We know that you are going to bring us through because you are a good God, a great God, and you are greatly to be praised. So, Lord, just stand up in us like never before. Put a rod of steel in our back that we might honor you in how we live and how we speak to one another and how we reach out to one another, telling people about the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And we will be quick to give you all the glory, honor, and praise that you so richly deserve. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all. And all God's children said, Amen. These islanders that were on the island of Malta are described in maybe your King James and other translations as barbarians because they were pagan people and they were superstitious. But really, when you look at this particular text, you see that they're acting more like benefactors than like barbarians because of the hospitality that they have shown here to strangers. You know, hospitality is an important part of the Christian life. We see this story as it starts off referring to hospitality, how they welcome these strangers 
onto their island. And then we see this story take an amazing twist. It goes from hospitality to a very miracle by the power of God in front of these pagans where they actually see the power of God through the immediate healing of Paul. Later on, that miracle power that God has goes through the leading citizen in their area. And then when Paul finds out that his father is sick, we see once again that miracle power healing his father. And then not only his father, but everyone else on the island who came along with their illnesses. Then it really ends where it started. The islanders overwhelmed because of God's healing, because of God's goodness, honored Paul and the whole crew by making sure they had all the provisions they needed to make and to complete their journey to Rome. I mean, when you look at this, the theme of hospitality pervades this entire story. Even though we don't see any references here to conversions being made, we see just cooperative, hospitable relationships. Don't let that fool you. How could there not be great conversions when God shows up like this and shows out? Even though the focus is the power of witnessing by example, we can surely believe that many pagans were brought to Christ by Paul's example. So, Pastor, what does the Bible say about hospitality? Hospitality can be defined as the quality and disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a friendly and generous way. You know, in the New Testament, this Greek word really means it's hospitality, literally the love of strangers. Hospitality is a Christian virtue that is both commanded and commended throughout all the scriptures. When we look at the Old Testament, we see what God says to us in Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. Now, we see Jesus in his public ministry that really depended on the hospitality of others so that he could minister from town to town. And other Christians depended on the hospitality of others. Do we recognize that those travelers at that time uh, depended heavily on the hospitality of strangers? There weren't many holiday inns. There weren't many westerns. There were very few places they could stay, and really poor Christians couldn't even afford to stay there. So they stayed in each other's home. And those homes were also provided to strangers to hold church services. Hospitality was indeed regarded as a mighty virtue. What does the writer of Hebrews tell us in Hebrews 13 and 2? Entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. When we recognize that 
we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. As followers of Christ, we must emulate his love and his compassion as we show hospitality, not just to other Christians, but even more so to strangers and people who are less fortunate. Jesus tells us in Luke 14, 13, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. He also tells us that the second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. This is the essence, my friend, of hospitality. Even when we think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, what does that teach us about our neighbor? That a neighbor has nothing to do with geography, citizenship, or race. So we see here, as Jesus takes us into the book of Matthew, and he says to us, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked out for me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I know sometimes we don't often think about entertaining strangers, but God is saying that we witness the great example of Christianity through hospitality. When we look at our text here, it starts off by saying, after we were brought safely through. It's referring to the voyagers on the ship that were able to now inhabit this island just as God said they would through his promise and they would be safe. But really, they had no idea where they were. They knew that God had kept his promises because God always keeps his promises. He had saved everyone on the ship in this violent storm. He had saved them from the utter hopelessness of their grave situation when they thought all hope was lost. We need to remember stories like these in times like these. When we think we're at the end of our rope, we need to remember it is not the end of our hope. What we need to do is take a pause and tie a knot at it and hold on because God's help is on the way. Never forget that God is our refuge. He is a very present help in the time of trouble, and he always keeps his promises. I want to show you something in Scripture here. Go to 2 Corinthians 1, 7 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 7 through 11. Paul speaking here. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, now look at this, this but is important. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He 
Personal pronoun refers to God. God delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us pray so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted through us through the prayers of many. I want you to hear the sheer desperation in Paul's voice as he deals with the midst of trials in his ministry. But what does he find out? He finds out that God is faithful, that God is faithful even when we are not faithful, for God cannot deny himself. Now I want you to look at how God's faithfulness changes Paul's voice and gives him confidence in his circumstances because God is witnessing to Paul through his faithful example. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 18. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus personal pronoun refers to God, knowing that God who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see, he starts to turn here. He starts to turn. Look what he says next. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he comes to this incredible conclusion that we all need to come to about this life, this life on this side of eternity. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now I want to contrast these statements quickly. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says that indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But God will take you to the extreme to show his extreme love, devotion, and care for you. Look why he was taken to the point of feeling like he had received the sentence of death. It was to make him rely not on himself, but to make him rely upon God. You see here, Paul is entering a deeper understanding of, number one, who God is. Number two, what God's power truly encompasses. Even in the midst of our storm right now, let us not forget that we are not relying on ourselves but we are relying on the one true and living God. Then if you look at verse uh, 4, 14 of the second, second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 14, you see the confidence start to build up in Paul because he's gone through so many trials and tribulations and God has 
seen him safely through that he doesn't have the worry anymore. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.14. Knowing that he, knowing that God who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. So what has Paul done? He has gone from being so utterly burdened beyond strength that he despaired life itself to saying, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now I got a question for you. How much do you think really changed in Paul's circumstance, or did God change the way Paul viewed his circumstance? I believe that God changed the way he viewed his circumstance, that God changed and gave him the ability to endure. Is this not what we're going through right now, each and every one of us, as God gives us this pastoral pause? I say that because God, the Father, is the pastor of each and every one of us. Is God giving us a time out so that we might actually take the time to pray and pay attention to him and his word? So that we might remember all the times that he has delivered us as he draws us closer to him and shows us by example that he is still God and God alone and he has the ability to deliver us. Our text goes on here. They found some natives there, and they figured out they were on the island of Malta. Luke here calls, again in some translations, these natives barbarians. It doesn't really mean that they were uncivilized people, but in the ancient world, anyone who didn't follow Greek customs or didn't speak the Greek language were called barbarians. And we recognize that these natives on this island, even though they were isolated, even though they probably felt insignificant, even though they were probably very poor, yet these people showed great hospitality to these strangers that came off the ship. Now, this couldn't have been easy to do. They could have easily felt threatened by these shipwrecked victims and killed them. They could have easily taken advantage of the situation and killed them and took whatever valuables they still had. But because of God's overruling power and protection, the natives showed Paul and his friends a kindness that was beyond the ordinary. They showed them hospitality. This word kindness in the text is a word fill philotropia. It's where we get the word philotropy. And it means the love of mankind. This is a kind of special kindness, a kind of hospitality that we are to show to people, whether they are part of the body of Christ or not. May this be the way we are in the midst of this pastoral pause toward everyone in this nation? Is it because we have not taken God at his word? Is it not because we have not followed his instructions or listened to his voice? 
Or is it because of those of us who have the privilege of preaching have not preached his word? What if Paul had told them something different than God told him? What if Paul had told those sailors, hey, you really don't have to stay on the ship and you still can survive? See, that happens when we who have the privilege of a pulpit pervert what God's word says. God told Paul that he would save everybody on the ship if they would follow his instructions, that they didn't need to seek any other safety. Do you recognize, and we all should by now, that there is no other safety outside the center of God's will, outside of our obedience to God's word? The boat was destroyed, and they help with the destruction of the boat because they're trying to pull down the lifeboat so they can escape. But you know, if we recognize that God's love for us is overwhelming and that his hands are upon us, our life, our lives are in his hands, and that he is truly our only lifeboat, we see here that when they start to abide by God's promises, everything goes well for them. They are saved. So please don't miss the lesson that is speaking to our current situation. Don't think for a moment that any of this will end prematurely until God gets the glory and until God gets his point across. We must repent and return to him. We must take him at his word. We must follow his instructions. We must listen to his voice. We must preach his words as preachers to people who do not want to hear it. We not a call, we're not called to preach to make people feel good or to make people or preach only what people find acceptable. But we must preach his word as it is written in the full power of the prescription that's being offered without any additions or deletions. Preach the word in season or out of season. Preach the word even in this strange season. Because God is always witnessing through our Christian example. He witnesses here by overcoming harm that is being brought upon Paul. We see here a snake bite God's messenger and that God allowed him to overcome this harm and heal it. Now for me, the question clearly becomes, why did God let his servant get bit in the first place? Really hadn't Paul suffered enough? Hadn't he already gone through a terrifying storm? Had he already been in jail for over two years? Had he been abandoned on the high seas? Had he not had his life threatened by Roman soldiers? And here he is doing what a servant of the Lord is supposed to do. He's rushing around in a torrential rain. He's soaked bitterly. He's cold. He's gathering wood, not just for himself, but for everybody. He doesn't even get a chance to get warm before a snake jumps out and latches on to his hand. And he never sees it coming. Chippy was a parakeet that never saw it coming either. 
Just moments earlier, he was peacefully perched upon his cage. The next thing he knew, he was being sucked in, washed up, and blown over. Now the problem became when Chippy's owner decided, I'm going to clean his cage. She decided this time to do it a little differently. She was going to use a vacuum cleaner. So she removed the attachments and put the end of the hose in the cage to gather the debris. Her cell phone goes off. She turns around to pick it up. Before she actually is able to say hello, she hears whoosh. Chippy got sucked up. She gasped. She put down the phone. She ran over to the vacuum cleaner. She opened up the bag. Chippy was there, still alive, but incredibly stunned. He was covered with dust and soot and other debris. So she took him into the restroom and she ran, put him under running water until she realized he was soaked and shivering. And she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She grabbed her hairdryer and she applied it. Hot air blasted the bird across the room. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. He never saw it coming. A couple of weeks later, she's speaking to a friend about his recovery. They asked how he was doing. She says, Chippy doesn't sing much more. He just kind of sits there and stares. Is it hard to see why? Sucked in, washed up, and blown away. Is that not enough to steal the song and the very joy from even the stoutest heart? But this was not so with Paul. Though Paul had been stuck in the slammer for over two years, he's been shipwrecked, and now he's been bitten by a snake on an unknown island. He just shook it off. You know, when some things come into our lives to challenge the very fiber of who we are, we are better served if we're just able to shake it off and believe that God is still in control. Look at verses 4 and 5 here. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Please look at this example. God took care of Paul through this trial by healing him instantaneously. God used this same trial to reach many pagans there and to call them to Christ because they saw the delivering power, the healing power of God. And when they saw that, their hearts would become more open and ready to listen to the gospel. Mark 16, 17 through 18 says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You know, faith for my deliverance is not faith in myself but it's faith in God. And yet, 
Faith means that whether I am visibly delivered or not, I'm going to stick to my guns and my belief that God is able. You see these natives as they see Paul being bitten by the snake and they were convinced for a moment that he's obviously a criminal. That was through their superstition. But then when he doesn't fall dead, when he doesn't swell up, then they're convinced that he's a small G God. They thought that their mythical God of the God of justice and vengeance had finally caught up with him. And maybe because he was guilty of a crime that this was just payback. You know, every generation holds to some superstition, especially those who are not believers. Unbelievers suffer from foolishness and wrongdoing and irresponsible behavior and sin. And they will in the end be punished for their evil deeds. They wrongly believe that their gods are coming after them for the wrongdoing that they have committed and they have no escape. Or they believe that they just can keep on sinning without any accountability. But I'm here to tell you they are wrong on both counts. There is a true and living God whose wrath is coming after those who have rejected his son, Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus Christ, is their only escape. And this same God will not allow us to go on sinning without accountability. For the wages of sin is death. In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And we might escape from the sea and we might escape from some sins and their subsequent detection and we might escape from the sorrow that we have caused others, but we cannot escape from the true and living God. He will have his day. God is sovereign, and he can rebuke us and chastise us at any time for the purpose of gaining our attention and guiding us back to a righteous path. So during our current exile, during our current pastoral pause, we should be seeking the face of God and asking him, what is the lesson that you are teaching me? Lord, why have you brought all the idols and all the false gods and all the material things that I depend upon so much to nothing? Have you done it to clearly show me that you are all that I need? That every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of life, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change? Are you not showing me that you can make me like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that I do in your will that I can prosper? Is God criticizing the way that we are showing our love 
and our glorification of him. You know, criticism is hard to accept. But if we receive it with humility, it's a desire, it should be desired to improve our very character. Only a fool doesn't profit when he's rebuked from his mistakes. You know, whenever we're criticized, we need to recognize that there is some truth in that criticism and that we can learn from it if we take it with the right spirit and in the right motivation. The first thing we need to do is commit the matter instantly to God, asking him to remove all resentment. Teach me the lesson that you know I need to be taught. Secondly, we need to remember that we're all sinners saved by grace. Thirdly, we need to recognize that we've committed a sin, to confess it to God, to ask forgiveness from the one that we have injured. Fourthly, we must be willing to learn afresh that we are not infallible. God and his word is infallible. So if we're criticized, we need to act upon it and become a stronger person and be healed by it because God's healing sometimes comes through those things that might hurt us. Look at verse 6 here, Acts 28 and 6. We're going to see this witnessing by example through God's healing come to the forefront here. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, they saw no misfortune come to him, and they changed their minds and said he was a god. Paul looked fine to him. It was a miracle, and they didn't know how to accept it, just like miracles in our day when we see the changed lives of people who have come to Christ Jesus by faith in him, the miracles of people's healed bodies because God is still in the healing business. The miracle of seeing people overcome incredible circumstances through their faith in God. We must remember, this is why they saw what happened to Paul to be just unbelievable and that he himself must have been a God. Do you remember back in Acts 14, 11 through 18, when those crowds saw Paul and Barnabas and thought that they were gods? And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in a Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of man. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of a like nature with you, and we bring you good news that should turn you from these vain things to a living God. 
You know, many times having the privilege of pastoring, people will tend to put you up on a pedestal, but you need to jump off that pedestal and say, hey, I am just a servant trying to bring you the truth of the living God, the good news of Jesus Christ who saves. It goes on here. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he's allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts and, with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. Paul is in a similar situation here, but he wants to preach and witness Christ through the example of the healing that is taking place. Look at verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us and showed us hospitality for over three days. I mean, if you think about this, what an incredible gift of hospitality. Luke told us last week there were 276 people on this boat. And he brought them all in, and he fed them, and he entertained them. More amazing than that is the fact that God will use the trial of his storm and the miracle of the snake bite to open a door for the gospel for Paul to minister through this example. He uses this time to witness, Paul uses this time to witness about Christ and not to worry about his circumstances. We can learn a great lesson from this. We must stop feeling threatened by our current exile and instead use this time to tell people about Christ. Start with the families that you locked up with. Tell others by Zoom and phone and email and Facebook because you used to think you didn't have any time. So God has rearranged the schedule of the entire world so they might hear about his son Jesus Christ. There was great hospitality being shown by Publius. And we see here that a healing situation is about to happen that's reminiscent of what Jesus did in Capernaum back in Luke 4, 38 through 40. Publius' father is ill. He's in the bed. He has a fever. He, he has dysentery. Paul went in to see him. He prayed for him. He placed his hands on him. God healed him. And then we see by this miraculous act, all the individuals who had illnesses on the island came to see Paul and he healed them as well. They were so amazed. They were so, over, so overwhelmed by the loving kindness of a God they did not know, expressing and exercising his power through Paul 
than they did what we see here in verse 10. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Don't miss this. They were shipwrecked. They lost everything that they had on that ship. They were about to catch a ship that had been forced to stay in Malta because of the winter. And now they're able to get on that ship. They're bringing nothing to the table, but God uses the people that they have helped through praying to bring everything that they could possibly need, all of their necessities, that they could make it to their journey, which was wrong. That is how our God works. Regardless of how we might feel destitute or, or in despair, don't be discouraged because God is always there and he has a way to meet you on the missionary field and they give you all the supplies you can possibly need. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary who had to learn to trust in God's faithfulness. He wrote these words in his journal one. I want you to hear it. Our Heavenly Father is an experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for over 40 years. We do not expect that he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have the power to amply supply and to sustain all of them. You can depend on God. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just love and praise you. We thank you for all you're doing in this minute and this hour. We trust you, Lord. We know that your arms are not too short, that you can meet every situation that we're going through, and that you're trying to show us something. You're trying to bring us back closer to yourself. Lord, show us your mercy. Show us your kindness. But most importantly, show us the creator of heaven and earth. It's in the precious name of your son and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all. And all God's children said,